Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Ernie De Los Santos, founder and faculty chair at Appeal Academy and creator of Top Gun Audit School. We are live on the December 2nd, 2016 edition of Finally Friday. And I do want to thank you for choosing to spend your time with us here on Finally Friday. Today's Finally Friday broadcast is sponsored by the Health Law Partners, providing solid advice and real solutions for healthcare business nationwide. And one of our partner firms is Recovery Analytics. That's Sharon Easterling's company. She does auditing and education, often authors articles for AHIMA as an AHIMA fellow, and she is a co-host on our show. Finally, Friday is now also sponsored by Zermed, our leading provider of financial and clinical performance management solutions using breakthrough predictive analytics technology to help you get paid faster, more fully, and more cost-effectively by payers and by patients. So visit Zermed.com to learn more. And then finally, we are also partnered with the Council for Certification of Medical Auditors, CCMA. They are the creators of the widely used Certified Medical Audit Specialist, or CMAS, certification. And we are proud that we have been approved to offer CEUs for our shows. You should check with your organization to see if they'll accept these CEUs uh, in your organization. I've heard that most of them do, in particular the big organizations. Okay. So this week we have an exciting show because we are finally getting to get a peek behind the curtain and get a glimpse of some of the secret training that CMS has been giving to the Omaha ALJs over the past two years. And this is coming to us from our resident appeals attorneys at the Health Law Partners. They filed a Freedom of Information Act request recently and they got those materials and now Jessica Gustafson is here to tell us what she learned after reviewing the three presentations and 264 pages that were delivered to them by the government. So we also have our uh, regular panelists here, uh, including Dr. Maria Johar. She's a full-time physician advisor, comes to us from ProMedica Hospital System in Ohio. Plus we have Sharon Easterling. She's an auditor and author with her own company, Recovery Analytics. And Bill Mom, who's a certified medical auditor and physician assistant, physician assistant who's traveling today in Los Angeles, and he has a new picture you might notice. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get going, I do want to make clear that the opinions shared on this show are those of the panelists and not necessarily representative of their employers. My opinions, of course, are also my own and no one else's, and especially not those of our sponsors. And finally, these shows are offered for educational purposes only and certainly are not offered as legal advice. So before we get started, I did want to uh, show a little bit uh, before we get going. It, it seems like every week my computer is acting a little differently. This week I can't see the panel at the bottom. Okay. So anyway, I wanted to um, show everybody uh, on the website if you are new to this show and new to the website, you might be you might want to go to appealacademy.com, anything, any page on the site, and if you scroll down, you will see this box with the green buttons that look just like the ones that are on your screen right now, and if you click on that, it'll take you to a page that gives you complete instructions on how to use the control panel. In particular, you will want to open the chat box, that's the second button from the left, 
because we very often have an active uh, discussion going on in there that may not even be the same thing we're talking about. Uh, you can zoom in and out on the screen if I'm not zoomed in far enough for you on something. You can also see the participants list, so you can choose to talk to somebody individually. Um, the chat box gives you a chance to talk to either somebody individually or to everybody all at once. Um, and you can also set your um, you to have your name show up in there if you want to. If you look in the participants list, you see a lot of people do that. Some do, some don't. It's up to you. Point at you, you're at the top of the list, and uh, it'll give you a little box to let you do that. Okay, uh, enough of that. The last thing I wanted to point out is every week on the Finally Friday, uh, this week on the Finally Friday page, you can find this link that says Get the Handouts. It jumps you down to these instruction boxes, and then here are all the handouts. There'll be a replay of it of this week's show. Show up there in a couple hours. And then here's the CEU certificate we talked about and a replay of last week's show. So anyway, okay, enough of that. Let's get back to the PowerPoint. And let me get everything else put out of the way so I can see what I'm doing. Oops. Okay, Word is not cooperating. Okay, here we go. Now I'm, now I'm back in business. Okay, so a little bit of news this week before we get going. Just a couple of things. Uh, one thing that happened this week that I think is kind of a big deal, and it's it's so big we don't really know what it really means, but it seems like it will have an effect on uh, reimbursements eventually. Um, and actually it kind of already has because to pay for this bill, they cut some of Medicare reimbursement. Uh, and it's a huge bill. Uh, it seemed to have something in it for everybody. That's called the Cures Act, and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, two senators, certainly came out swinging against it because they think it uh, it really is kind of a it just gives a lot of money to the uh, pharma industry. It's big pharma, which is uh, perhaps not a good idea. Uh, there are also um, the interesting thing is there were I think there were twenty million dollars spent by lobbyists trying to get this bill passed in the past two years. There's a link to one article about it. There's another article I found that came up in Healthcare Finance uh, yesterday, uh, and that talks about it perhaps a little bit differently. Uh, and can you can probably find out more about what all is involved in the bill. I just thought it's something that we probably ought to be watching what that's, what that's going to mean for us in the near future. The only other thing of news that came out this week was that uh, – uh, CMS posted an update on their RAC program page. Uh, now I forget the name of the fellow who uh, brought this up in the uh, RAC relief group this week, uh, Google group, and he posted about it. The, the two things that were interesting is, one thing, they claimed they were going to post the statement of work for the new contracts, and those, of course, have not posted on that page. I believe the only ones are still posted on the uh, FEO Dot gov site, and we did a show about that a couple of months ago. We may do another one. Uh, the other thing is that the big surprise is the old racks have been retained under their existing contracts through 2018 for administrative purposes. Now, what does that mean? We don't know. Uh, but welcome to the land of government contracts where they seem to be able to extend them uh, ad infinitum all they want to. So that's kind of strange. Um, 
Oh, and what is Dr. Hirsch saying here in the chat? Something that shows drugs. Oh, he's talking about the Cure Act. Shows drugs to be approved based on anecdotal evidence, which is dangerous for our patients. Yeah, uh, seem to making it seem to be making it a lot easier for drugs to be approved. They don't have to go through as much testing. Um, so that is kind of worrisome. Anyway, those are the links to all of that stuff. The other thing I want to point out before we get going uh, is there is a free webinar coming up next week on December 8th um, that is uh, done by Zermed, uh, it, and it's all about predictive analytic solutions. Uh, I highly encourage you to go look at it at least. Again, it's free. They talk about how predictive analytics can be used to help avoid denials. We had a show about that recently with uh, Frank Cohen, you might remember. Uh, Frank has a, a different kind of a tool uh, to look at trying to, uh, you know, things that are not necessarily a problem, but they could, they they have a, it's predictable uh, to see how likely it is that something may be edited. And that's exactly the kind of thing that Zermet has as well. So go pay attention to that. There's the link at the bottom of that bottom of the screen there on that um, in the PowerPoint, you can get straight to that. Register for free and uh, and listen to it next Thursday. And we'll probably talk a little bit about it in the show next Thursday. I, I'm interested to see what Zermint uh, has to say about it. And of course, they're a new sponsor, so <laughs> of course I'm going to talk about it. Anyway, okay. So um, last week, or uh, the last show we had, we did about um, to Part B or not to Part B, where we were looking at, you know, do you need to, on these short inpatient stays, the one-day stays, like on the strokes and uh, TIAs, do you need to cancel them as uh, inpatients if you made them inpatient and cancel and rebuild as Part B or not? Uh, but that was uh, that was an interesting show, and we had several physicians on. This week, we're going to the legal side, of course, and because Jessica has been able to look behind the curtain and see uh, uh, see what the Fed has been teaching the ALJs about deciding their appeals. Now, there's several ways you can feel about this show or that you may feel uh, after this show or even going into this show, so I kind of pulled up some things, you know. Uh, it's possible that you will feel like, you know, you saw some kind of piece of artwork that you thought was not exactly what you thought, that may be what you think this week, uh, or that you went and saw a famous statue and found out it's not exactly what you thought it was, or that there's some company that's not exactly what it used to be, or maybe you're just plain sad by all of this. And of course, you know, it is, we are talking about trying to reveal secrets. For some reason, these are secrets uh, to the government because they weren't making them public, you know, so it's like the magician, uh, that one magician who's revealing all the, the way uh, things are done, or maybe we finally get to see the Nixon tapes, or what's in Area 51, or what the uh, Soviets know about UFOs, or is it really true that uh, the president-elect has an eight, a magic eight ball on his desk? I don't know. It sure seems like it sometimes. So at any rate, you could look at this that you're going to just have to accept everything and enjoy the journey, or you're just going to be disappointed. Well, I don't think you want to do that. What we really want to do is just deal with things as they are, right? So this week, from what the presentations tell us, 
you know, basically we were asking these four questions, not only as why do we feel like we're seeing a card trick? Um, it, it, it's, it's, just, it's just kind of strange to me uh, that all this is being done without, you know, why do they do something different for the ALJs as opposed to what they tell the rest of us? So anyway, that's what we're going to hear about, you know, what topics were covered, what about this? There's more that I know Jessica's going to talk about, that there's more to be found out that she's going to be uh, pursuing and trying to get more with more Freedom of Information Act uh, requests because we're, not re we're still not being told everything. But there were some very interesting things but they were being told about addressing applicable policies, and uh, particularly she's got some good stuff to say uh, about what they were being taught about procedures. So with that, now it's time to go ahead and hand it over to Jessica. So Jessica, I'm going to hand you the wheel. Okay. Thanks for being on the show, uh, especially. And let me see. Now I have to find you in this list. <laughs> oh, there you are. Okay. All right. There we go. I passed it to you. I see. Okay. Hopefully this will work. Accept. Did that work for me to accept or accept? Mm, there we go. It says, now you're the presenter. Okay. And there it is. Look, look at that. We're a, we're a te you're a technology guru. Awesome. Okay. We are five what? by five. Okay. Well, let's get started. I see we have a very, very full room today, which is exciting to yeah. me. Um, I'm I'm glad to see that, and I'm glad to see um, so many familiar names, and also, you know, welcome to all the people that don't participate quite as often. But I I do want to just say at the outset of this, you know, obviously I'm not an ALJ and didn't fit in on any of these education sessions, so. All I have access to are the PowerPoint presentations that um, OMHA released to me. So, you know, some of this is going to be open to interpretation, so I hope we can have some good discussion, too, as we walk through um, some of the materials that were released. But let's walk through kind of the, the basis for this, if I can figure out how to change my slide. Perfect. Okay. Okay. So what... We all know, I'm going to fly through this, everybody knows there's a backlog. There's a huge backlog. Woe is Omaha. They can't get through the backlog. But what I do think is interesting is the information that is coming out more recently, the information that has been coming out over the past year or so, um, is painting sort of a different picture than Omaha has on their appeals adjudication backlog webpage. So I just wanted to kind of update some of those numbers for you guys. Um, so based on OMHA's justification for estimates for its appropriations committee, fiscal year um, 2017 estimates, they stated that OMHA has experienced a 1,222% 1, increase in the number of appeals received annually um, wow. between 2000 in 2014, with the most dramatic growth in appeals occurring in the three-year period from fiscal year 2011 to 2013. Um, I do note parenthetically, it is interesting that the RAC program did become permanent and expand nationwide in 2010, um, which mm -hmm. seems very much in line with that data. Mm -hmm. So um, another um, fact that OMHA has reported and it's 
in its estimate to the Appropriations Committee is that it has not been able to issue decisions in 90 days for the past five years. Um, and I think all of us on the line are very much aware of that as well. Um, in fiscal year 2015, OMHA adjudicated 9.3% of claims in 90 days, which is short of its 15% performance target. I include this fact just because I do sort of find it funny that OMHA's performance target is 15% compliant with the requirements. <laughs> so that there, is very strange. Yeah, they're sliding right under it at 9.3%. Um, so you'll see if you go to the OMHA, I didn't include the link to it, but if you just even Google it, OMHA's has, OMHA has an adjudication timeframe website, and it's still saying that it's taking them 541.7 days to issue decisions. That's just not accurate. So based on the most recent data that they have put out there, the average processing time of um, the closed workload in fiscal year 2015 was 661 days. The average age of pending appeals at OMHA measured 800 days as of November 2015. So these cases weren't closed. The old ones are just, you know, the time is just tick, 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 ticking on by. Wow. Um, average processing time for claims as of 10-14-2016 um, is 935.4 days, guys. That's staggering. Doesn't, doesn't seem to be going in the right direction, does it? Certainly <clears throat> not. So It's longer. What, what's going on? What are they trying to do? Lots of things. They're promoting escalation. Go ahead and skip and go to the Medicare Appeals Council. I don't recommend that. Don't do that. That's a waste of your time. You're going to wait longer and you're going to lose your hearing rights. You can request an on-the-record review. I know reasonable minds can differ regarding this. I also don't recommend you request an on-the-record review. The ALJ level of appeal is your real only opportunity to have a conversation with somebody and clear up any issues that might be um, impeding the favorable determination. Um, so I'm, I'm not huge fans of those. There's also a settlement conference facilitation pilot that is expanding. There's a statistical sampling initiative that's going on. We all know about the A for match, but that's just kind of sitting out there. You know, it did have broad bipartisan support, but, um, you know, then there was an election and nothing has happened since they published it. Um, hmm or the proposed changes to the Medicare appeals process. They have posted on the Federal Register website the timely comments received, um, but to my knowledge, there hasn't been any movement on that either. There is the new inpatient hospital appeal settlement or the reopening of the old one, I guess. And then probably most importantly is this pending um, litigation, AHAV for a while, and that's really the background for my request for information here. So, all right, so the settlement conference facilitation, I bring this up for those of you on the line, for those of you that may not be aware, that the pilot was expanded in February of this year to include Part A appeals. It was previously limited only to Part B appeals. Um, this would be helpful because um, it just, it's broader than, you know, for example, the hospital, the new reopening of the, the global hospital appeal settlement. It just gives you another opportunity to, to maybe settle some claims. So just be aware that this is out there. And I think there's probably a lot of value here in terms of deciding lots of cases. Um, 
statistical sampling initiative. I don't love this um, as a pilot program just because of how it works procedurally, but you should know that's out there too. So this is just an opportunity for you to request to have um, a hearing just on a sample of your cases that are pending out in the, you know, the pool of claims waiting to be adjudicated. And then um, the decision on the sample claims would be extrapolated to your universe of pending appeals. Again, we have hmm. a firm that's out there, but nothing's really happening. We have the proposed changes to appeals process. Again, not much going on there. We've done prior shows. Um, a couple weeks ago, I think, we talked a little bit about the hospital appeals settlement being reopened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is basically the exact same settlement pretty much um, as it was back in 2014 with the exception of the partial payment is reduced to 66%. Um, if you guys are interested in pursuing this, just keep the deadline on your calendar that um, the deadline to submit your expression of interest is going to be January 31st of 2017. Okay. So now we're into the, the meat of the call, the reason, the reason for my request. So the American Hospital Association, as many of you may know, together with three plaintiff hospitals years ago, filed a suit requesting the court to grant mandamus relief to compel the secretary to adjudicate pending appeals in compliance with the statutory deadlines. Um, there's been a lot of back and forth, and the, you know, the litigation is alive and well. Um, on, oh, that should say May. On May 25th of 2016, the government moved to stay the proceedings until September 30th of 2017 requesting time to implement its various administrative and legislative efforts, which I, I know I just flew through those a second ago, but those are the various administrative and legislative efforts that are going on right now. And as part of this motion, the, um, the motion included a declaration of Ellen Murray, who is the Assistant Secretary for Financial Resources and Chief Financial Officer of HHS. And as part of the declaration, Ms. Murray um, outlined the initiative and included in this discussion judicial education training for Omaha ALJs and adjudication staff. And I'm just going to read this. I know that's kind of boring, but I think the language is important. So, Jess, you so, kind of faded away there. I don't know if you moved from the mic or. I'm sitting in the same place, but I'll just pick up the phone. Is this better? Oh. Yes. Okay. Okay. So. Um, the declaration stated that the process for the judicial education training um, was that the sessions are going to routinely involve collaborative training using policy experts from OMHA, CMS, and the Council. Special sessions have also included participation from the HHS offices of Inspector General and General Counsel. The joint training increases decisional consistency between adjudicators at all levels of appeal, which may contribute to lower appeal rates by resolving issues at lower levels of appeal, affecting appellant's business decisions whether or not to appeal to higher levels of appeal. And then she goes on to say, after the department, the department implemented this joint training, the percent of appeals, including dismissals in which Omaha ALGs fully or partially reversed claim denials decreased from 63.2% in fiscal year 2010 to the current rate of 28.4% as of March 31st, 2016. So let's pause on that for a second. I think um, I think that 
that number, the numbers there are staggering. That is a significant decline and mm. um and an overturn rate. That's that's a very significant decline. But I think what we also need to keep in mind is they are including dismissals in this data. So we're going to have the hospital appeals settlement, you know, all those claims remain denied, right? So that's going to be affecting those numbers. But I still think um I still think the numbers are staggering, right? So the question mm. on the table is why? Why? So what what was taught to the ALJs that resulted in them no longer fully or partially reversing claim denials? Um, just quick update on the litigation. The government's motion for stay was denied in September. Um, the AHA has moved for summary judgment, and I think that's where we're at right now. Okay, um, I highlight this um, just to note the um, decision statistics that OMHA is reporting on its website, which is different than the statistics that they are reporting as part of the declaration. So we're not seeing this, you know, 26%. It's just, it's hard with the numbers. You don't really know how they're playing with them. You have the dismissals yeah. here, fullies, partially unfavorable. Um, but this is the information that is still, um, that is still published on OMHA's website. Okay, so citing to the May 25th, 2015 motion, our law firm requested from HHS copies of any and all training materials from any such joint training. I copied, you know, pretty much that entire paragraph requesting the training that was provided by OMHA, CMS, and the council. I specifically requested information related to the sessions, including participation by the OIG and general counsel. And in response, I was released um, three PowerPoint presentations for training sessions that took place within um, the 2015 and 2016 time period. So um, the cover letter to the materials that I received states that OMHA did determine to release the materials to me in, in their entirety. Um, I, the cover letter also says, please be advised there were deletions made throughout the document provided by OMHA. The deletions were not applied by the HHS FOIA office that are an original part of the training materials. So I don't know exactly what was taken out and at which time. But what I did receive were three presentations, one from October 8th of 2015, one from November 12th of 2015, and one from March 10th of 2016. And I think, you know, there's a lot of information in the presentations. There's, there's a lot of substance here. But what I did not receive was a smoking gun. There's nothing in any of these three presentations to um, expressly explain why, you know, the ALJ fully favorable rate dropped by so much. But I do think there's, you know, important takeaways. So let's let's talk about that. Okay. So the first mm -hmm. the first response I received from October eighth of twenty fifteen included three present three presentations. It was a day long seminar. So the presentations included um, a presentation on the ICD ten, which was presented by the ADQIC. Um There was 
a presentation on the new role of the QIOs, which was presented by Supervisory ALJs Ryan Glaze and John Birkin. And there was a topic discussion by Brian Herring, Associate Chief ALJ. First thing I want to talk about is the ICD-10 presentation. Um, there's, you know, nothing in there that's controversial as an outline of ICD-10, so it's it's fine. Um, what I think is interesting is that this presentation was presented by the AdQuick. So many of you on the line might be asking, hey, who's this AdQuick? Is that the same as the Quick? It's not the same as the Quick. It's another contractor that's in the mix. And basically, the AdQuick serves as the clearinghouse for all original Medicare Part A and Part B claim case files and decisions from Omaha and the Council. So back in the day, years ago, they really only served in this role. They served as the clearinghouse. If the ALJ issued a favorable decision, they would direct the, the MAC, the contractor, to pay you. That was their role. So if you were having a hard time getting paid, you know, and you went, you know, to to your MAC and said, okay, I haven't been paid, they would say, well, we haven't been directed by the AdQuick. That was their role. They were the middleman. That's what they did. They're also authorized under the regulations, and they're becoming increasingly active um, in their role as a contractor to review ALJ decisions for possible agency referral to the Appeals Council. So basically, this is what's known as own motion review. And that is the process by which the AdQuick may decide on its own motion that an ALJ decision should be appealed to the Medicare Appeals Council. And basically, the the AdQuick, well, it's CMS or any of its contractors, but who you're going to see do this is the AdQuick. They may refer a case to the MAC if in their, the council, if in their view the decision or dismissal contains an error of law material to the outcome of the claim or presents a broad policy or procedural issue that may affect public interest. Um, and to the extent CMS or one of its contractors participated in the appeal at the ALJ level, the AdQuick also may take the position that the the council should take own motion review because the ALJ's decision or dismissal is not supported by the preponderance of the evidence in the record or the ALJ abused his or her discretion. I bring this up um, routinely when I'm talking about the AdQuick because I think this this portion of the regulations, which is 42 CFR 405.1110, is so fundamentally unfair to providers. You know, they are should be entitled to some some amount of administrative finality. And in a lot of situations where providers are receiving fully favorable decisions, if somebody participated in the hearing, maybe it's the RAC, maybe it's the MAC, maybe the QUIC showed up, it's never going to be the AdQuick. But if any contractor participates in the appeal at the ALJ level, then the AdQuick can appeal the decision to the council and say that they don't believe the decision is supported by the preponderance of the evidence in the record or the ALJ abused his or her discretion. I just think that's so fundamentally unfair, and I would bet you dollars to donuts, that is the legal term, dollars to donuts that quick is not listening to the hearing tapes. So they're not going to mm -hmm. know necessarily if the decision or dismissal is supported by the preponderance of the evidence in the record. Did they take the time to acquaint themselves with the entirety of the record? Probably not. Anyway, so I know this is not even the point of the thing, but I I don't like the fact that this contractor is interjecting itself 
into the process to educate the ALJs about what the rules should be. But I guess I guess it's mm. fine if they're not saying anything controversial, and I don't believe they were. I will pause here for a moment, too. I didn't give this, the materials to Ernie, but if anybody wants the um, – if anybody wants a copy of the PDFs, I, I have them. And they, I don't have them on me, but I have them in the office, and I could email them if anybody wants to see the original source material. Right. Okay. And of course, so number one. Just, we'll, we, uh, you know, we show Jessica's email, uh, and any of you who want to contact her, I mean, contact her or contact me, and I'll put you in contact with her if you want to get a copy of the, uh, the materials. Uh, yeah. Here we have somebody commenting, Mary commenting, seems to me that the ALG, ALJ decisions started moving from mostly favorable to mostly unfavorable prior to October 2015. That was what I was thinking, too, when I looked at all this, Jessica. It seems like mm-hmm. they did something before this, uh, even right. that, uh, you know, that made, yep. that had yep. that effect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they're, yes, I'm sure. And um, that's why, you know, as we've discussed, Ernie, I think it bears um, requesting the information from 2013 and 2014 as well. I assumed there would be something more real-time 2015, just given the fact that as part of their 2015 declaration, they said, look what we're doing. We have just done this. We had all this new education. Now look at this data. So, you know, I... I don't believe this education is unrelated to the lawsuit, if that makes sense. So I yeah. I don't think for one hot second it's not related to the lawsuit. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly there will be um, supplemental requests going in. Okay, so um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the QIO presentation in one second. Um, I also want to touch on this topic discussion by Brian Herring, Associate Chief ALJ. So... Um, What's interesting about this is the the cover sheet to the October 8, 2015 PDF that I received is says these are the presentations, this is who presented, this is the time block that everybody can present. The third presentation says exactly this, topic discussion by Brian Herring, Associate Chief ALJ. There are no slides related to the topic discussion. There's no definition on what the topic could possibly be. I don't have any information about the topic discussion other than the ALJs discussed a topic in October of 2015. So maybe this is our smoking gun, maybe not. If it is, the information was redacted by OMHA prior to delivering it to me, apparently. So um, Mm. that's what we got. All right, so let's talk about the QIOs. Really quick. Um, so the ALJs did the supervisory ALJs, Ryan Glaze and John Bergen, um, are the judges that presented on the QIOs. Basically, they went through the basics. Who are the QIOs? What roles do they play? They're taking on new roles. Um, what are their sub? What are the substantive roles? What are the procedural roles? Are they following the same appeals process when they're looking at these status reviews? Um, what rationale should they be using in their decisions? There's some examples of determinations, um, discussion on the types of appeals that the, and issues that are being raised, and this is basically the new status stuff. 
Um, and then there's some instructions to the judges about how to go about obtaining records from the QIOs if they need to do that as part of their review of the cases. Now, falling into the category of I told you so, um, the final slide of this presentation contains um, a slide entitled Future QIO Cases and Changes to the Two Midnight Rule. And this slide discusses the outpatient perspective payment system final rule from 2016, which inputted the case-by-case -case physician judgment exception to the two midnight rule. So basically, um, they I'm not going to read all this. It's a, a lot of print. But basically, the slide speaks to what the change was. And then it concludes, OMHA will likely receive inpatient admission denial cases as a result of this change. And then it goes on to say if there's too many denials, then people are going to be referred to the rack. But again, as <laughs> many of you have heard me say before, and you will hear me continue to bang this drum probably until the end of time, of course OMHA is going to receive inpatient admission denial cases as a result of this change. Of course they are. Of course they are. So the case-by-case -case exception basically interjected this criteria that even if a physician believes that a patient is not going to require two minutes or more of hospital care, nonetheless, the patient may be appropriate for an inpatient admission based on their patient history and comorbidity, severity of signs and symptoms, current medical needs, and the risk of an adverse event. The exact same criteria that CMS has instructed providers to use in determining whether an inpatient admission is appropriate based on an expectation of two midnights or more of hospital care. So either an inpatient admission is appropriate because the admitting physician expects a patient to require hospital care that will cross two midnights, or because the admitting physician does not expect a patient to require hospital care that will not cross two minutes, two midnights. Well, there's another typo there. Yeah, so it's just don't do it, guys. It's just from a compliance perspective, I know. I know there are revenue cycle companies out there that are very publicly disagreeing with me, which is fine. It's fine. Um, you know, reasonable minds can differ. I just think on the front end, if we're talking about compliance advice, why do you want to walk yourself into that? Why do you want to? CMS has not defined the term inpatient hospital care. CMS has not identified right. specific examples of situations in which a patient may require inpatient hospital care to despite an expected length of stay that does not cross two midnights. Um, CMS has said the beneficiary's level of care is not part of guidance regarding inpatient admission decisions. Admissions to the ICU are not sufficient to justify inpatient admission. CMS has not revised the two-midnight presumption and benchmark regarding medical review policies. What clinical scenarios would ever satisfy this criteria, except for unexpected mechanical ventilation, which apparently does? There's, there's, it's nonsensical. It's nonsensical. Mm -hmm. um, okay, that's all. Soapbox over. Let's talk about the second PowerPoint. <laughs> okay. Um, the second FOIA um, response we received was from a presentation that took place on November 12th of 2015. There were two presentations, um, one which was a view from the council, from the Medicare Appeals Council, and there was um, an overview. Well, the presentation was titled Appellant Decisions and Trends, um, which was presented by William Farley and the Associate Chief ALJ from the Arlington Field Office. I will tell you, um, 
that's not what the presentation was about, but <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay. Um, all right. So let's talk about the view from the Mac. I do think there was a lot of interesting information in this slide deck. Um, and actually, I was not aware that this is how the Medicare Appeals Council operates. So this um, the slide deck states that the decision-making process at the council level of appeal um, emphasizes consistency. So the council actually meets weekly to discuss pending cases and recurrent issues. And between the meetings, the council members communicate regularly and review issue decisions. So they try to make sure that the decisions coming down from the MAC are, or council, and it's so hard with everyone having the same initials, from the council mm -hmm. have, um, you know, are internally consistent. So you're entitled to a de novo review at level four. Um, your decision is going to come from one or two ALJs. It doesn't come from the panel or from the Medicare Appeals Council or anything like that. But it's interesting to note that um, the council, they are meeting on the cases to um, make sure that their decisions remain internally consistent. This is interesting, too, um, from the point of view that the decisions are not supposed to have precedential value. But it's important to know, you know, as you're going into it, that, you know, the the council is going to give deference to their own decisions that they've previously issued in their effort to ensure internal consistency. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> you know, the council decisions, they're um, actually available on Westlaw now um, for all of you doctors out there with Westlaw subscriptions. <laughs> but the ones that aren't on Westlaw, they also, um, there's a Medicare Appeals Council website that um, publishes some of the decisions. But as of right now, barring any movement on the proposed regulations, council decisions don't have precedential value, but know that they're they're pretty much going to be treated that way. Um, okay, so we've already I didn't already realize they, about... do, they, they actually do a de novo review, in other words, from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, yeah, they I mean, they're, su they're okay. supposed to, they're supposed to, as a practical matter, I, as a practical matter, all of the Medicare Appeals Council decisions I've ever received have spoken to ALJ error which isn't exactly a de novo review, um, mm. but that's the legal standard is de novo. Um, mm. And if you don't like your council decision, you can always appeal to federal court if an amount in controversy is met. <laughs> Dr. Hirsch is funny. Is against the rules to share my Westlaw sign-in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Now let's talk about the... Outcomes. So the council reported on their appeal outcomes. They're, this is a cut and paste from their slide. I, this is like a screenshot. This is so interesting to me, the data that they chose to release to the ALJs and report on. Look here, they're, they're reporting on one-month periods of certain years. So I'm not exact. Yeah, I just, I'm not exactly sure what this is supposed to mean. So I think what one one takeaway one takeaway is that you're going to see that the council is not routinely adopting the ALJ decision. So it is worth your time to appeal to level 4, right? You're going to see you see a lot of modification, you see a lot of reversal, you see some remands. 
Um, but just adopting the ALJ decision outright, you know, from a high in one month in 2011 down to, you know, 27.3% during that one month in 2015. Um, the other wow. thing that you don't, the other information that you don't get from this data is whether the modifications, reversals, or adoptions are in favor of the provider. You know, we don't know what this means. So as I stated before, you know, we do see, you know, not so much on the hospital side, but I know on the provider supply, on the physician supplier side, especially for ZPIC cases or um, sometimes just Medicare administrative contract or just MAC cases when they do large extrapolated audits. Anytime statistics are involved the ad and the provider wins on the statistics, the ad quick always appeals to the MAC or to the council. They oh, just really? do that. That's their modus operandi right now. So if there is a reversal of the ALJ's decision, that that's not necessarily in favor of the provider. It's not necessarily not. We just we actually just don't really know um, what this data means. So wow. Um, so here's some data without meaning. Let's move on. Okay. We also learned from the information released that the number one reason for reversing, modifying, or remanding a case was the judge's failure to address an applicable regulation, NCD, LCD, edit, manual provision, CMS ruling, or explain why a policy was not applied. This is interesting. Okay, so especially let's talk about total joints, right? So we have LCDs that address total joints. I think the takeaway here is if your appeal involves a, a procedure or a service that has a governing policy, and for whatever reason, let's say you're in substantial compliance, but you don't completely comply with it. You still need to address the policy. You need to acknowledge that there's this guidance material out there, and maybe you don't meet it um, precisely, but you should make the argument as to why you're entitled to payment anyway. These policies, CMS rulings are binding, but LCDs are not binding. Um, NCDs are binding, CMS rulings are binding, regulations obviously are binding, but the LCDs are not, coverage articles are not. Um, so to the extent, you know, you feel like, oh, okay, I just won't address it because I don't meet each and every criteria outlined in this policy, that's just um, a bad strategy because that can be a reason for the council to direct the ALJ to reverse its decision or at least revamp to consider the policy. Um, so just make sure that you're aware of the policies governing your claims and you address those as part of your appeal. Other problems um, resulting in reversals, modifications, or remands were incomplete records, decisions granting relief not within ALJ authority. How much do you guys want to bet those are um, the ALJ decisions ordering observation? I bet that's what that means. That's my guess hmm, for bullet yeah. point number two. Um, number mm -hmm. three, procedural flaws such as inadequate service. Um, and confusion about sections 1879 and 1870 of the Social Security Act. That's interesting. That that final bullet point is interesting to me because we've talked about this before with um, Bob Soltis. A lot of times the judge's decisions, I mean, they have their stock, um, you know, analysis about, okay, and P.S. waiver doesn't apply, but very rarely, rarely, rarely see a meaningful workup of either of those. Um, legal theories on the ALJ decision side. Um, okay. 
All right. So, okay, we talked about this a little bit. Um, there is the importance of the LTDs. ALJs are not bound by the LTDs, but they have to give substantial deference that's under the regulation. Um, the ALJ has to explain why an LTD isn't, isn't followed. There were several slides on having good cause for introduction of new evidence at level three, okay? Don't just come, come with your brand new evidence to level three without um, obtaining good cause or at least explaining why it wasn't obtained prior to level three. The judges have been trained on it now. They've been trained on it actually repeatedly now because there's two presentations that speak to it. Um, so they're hmm. going to be looking out for the new evidence issue. Um, and then, so and this one is from the appellant decisions and trends. This is the, um, sorry, I just dove right into it. So the ALJ presentation, this was the second of the two presentations from November. They talked about the LCDs. So now we have the council discussing the importance of the LCDs and the ALJs re-educating on that. The good cause issue was raised by both the council and the ALJs. And then the remainder of the ALJ slides were all about the backlog and how it's just too hard and they have too much to do and they're never going to get through it. I mean, there's dozens of slides on it. So um, hmm. we should continue to feel sorry for them. They're feeling sorry for themselves. And we have our third and final FOIA resp response, which was from March, March 10th of 2016. And that presentation was solely devoted to the telephone discussion and reopening process demonstration. It was presented by C2C, which is one of the quicks. Um, so looks like their their project director, one of their internal attorneys, um, they presented this. This, you know, is not directly relevant to you guys, but this is a very interesting pilot program to, for those of you that aren't aware. Basically, the way it works is there are certain um, DME suppliers that are identified as being able to um, participate in this pilot. And then at level two, if the quick reviews an appeal and says, oh, I could pay this if you just had an order that said exactly this, what they do is then the, the quick gives an opportunity for a telephone discussion with the supplier to discuss the information they need. The supplier gets 15 days to get the documentation, and then maybe they pay it. It's almost like a mini hearing, um, and it just, they're using it to clean up some of these, you know, technical deficiencies and order sets and things like that. And I guess the, um, I mean, it appears, based on what they're saying, that the supplier appeals are not an insignificant portion of the backlog. So to the extent they're able to show that, you know, some of these claims are payable if, you know, the documentation could just be obtained. Um, maybe that could help clear things up and could help, you know, from an educational perspective moving forward too. Um, so that's what that was about. Not directly relevant to you guys, but interesting nonetheless. Mm. So mm. what did we learn? We did not get any information related to a special session from the OIG or general counsel. If that happened, it didn't happen in 2015 or 2016. Again, my request for information may have been too narrow. Wah, wah, so I'll try again. Um, what was <laughs> okay. included in the topic discussion? I really want to know what the topic discussion was about. I do not know. Um, I think that was... I see that Bob is on the line, but I think that was after his time, so he probably wasn't in the room. Um, yeah. 
we have the ALJs have been repeatedly trained both by OMHA and the council on the importance of the LCDs and the good cause. Um, and then, oh, yeah, and then I just throw in with total joint. It's just, like this total joint thing is such a headache for every hospital, you know, getting the referring physician's notes. So continue to make your efforts to track down those records at level two or prior, of course. Um, Jessica, did you do request from the topic discussion? Did I what? Did, did I request what it was? Yeah. No, I didn't know it happened. Yeah. No, I said any and all information from your educations in 2015 and 2016, and what they released was one of those education sessions was a topic discussion. I didn't, you know, I didn't even know what that was. So, you know, I could make so, a more specific request now, but, you know, when I made the initial request, we didn't even know that occurred. Right, and I meant since then. Yeah, no, not since. I haven't done any follow-up yet. Done any. Right. Well, that'll so, be interesting um, to see. But it, did, did it? I don't yeah. guess there's anything you could you could see that. I mean, they said there was some material that was deleted, but could you tell what that was or where it was? Or, I mean, no. How would mm -mm. how would we even know? Why did they even mention it? Um, right. Mm -hmm. Right. You know. So and if yeah, it was there's deleted, no way to what, know. I mean, I think the only thing. The glaring omission, from my perspective, is the topic discussion. Yeah. Because because it's in there. It's in your agenda, you know, and then there are no slides on it. I mean, not that you have to have slides on everything, but it's difficult because, you know, from where we sit, we're obviously not in the room. And there's, again, nothing there that's so crazy, you know, controversial that, okay, now they know the secret rules and, the judges have been instructed to apply the benchmark this way and they're going to get you. You know, there's nothing there like that. Everything is very fine. It doesn't have to be secret. And I don't even think from their perspective they consider it to be that secret. This ALJ training has happened since forever. They always have a summer training. This additional yeah. training, actually maybe Bob should speak to this because I don't know, I'm not an ALJ, but I know they always do a summer training. And I don't, I'm not sure that they always do like two additional fall sessions and then an extra March one. You know, it seems like there's more training going on. And it's just, yeah, it's just not transparent, but I don't know that it's necessarily nefarious, if that makes sense. But I just don't like the numbers. You know, the, the decline just yeah. seems like there must have been a more direct discussion. And I, I will also say just anecdotally, and some of the others on the line, I know that are, um, that do appeals like all the time. Maybe Denise Wilson can speak to this. I see her name at the top of my screen. I see just a lot over the past year or two years, the ALJ is really taking the interpretation of um, the contractors and the way that they, they were um, reviewing cases. So even let's say we didn't have the other side show up, then we would still hear from the ALJ pretty routinely okay, but which of these services could only have been provided on an inpatient oh. basis? And that is that is taken from, like, that is just from the page of the rack. That is their cross-examination question. So right. did somebody right. sit the judges down and say, you guys should ask this if the rack isn't there? And, I, you know, I, I will say this as long as I'm going to talk about the physician judgment exception being a trap. It's the wrong question. 
it was it's always been the wrong question and i it's it's just interesting so i would have maybe expected something like that you know some five on frame the issue this way but no nothing like that so we'll see if we get anything more interesting when we expand the request out a little broader well it also said there's two things about that one thing i i was talking to bob uh soltis and he's saying that it may be that in that is funding issues or things like that uh, not necessarily uh legal issues or decision issues uh the other thing though to me is because i remember this but i think it's just from watching television so much uh you know, that maybe it's, you know, one of the first things you learn in law school is don't write anything down. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because when you when you write something down, it lives forever. Uh, and I think that's kind of true with these, these slide decks, too. If you don't put anything in the slide deck except topic discussion, well, then it, it you know, remains silent forever as opposed yeah. to, you know, if, if, right. it's, if it's written right. down, everybody's going to have it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it could be, you know, it could be that, oh, okay. Um, Yeah, Bob is suggesting that we ask for the recordings of those training sessions if they exist. Of course, we don't know that they exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I kind of wonder whether they recorded them or not. Yeah, I would. Again. Oh, he would know more than us, but I I would be surprised if they did. Okay. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they were recorded, but maybe... Yeah, maybe uh, Bob would know. Uh, okay, Bob says he, he thinks they record. They may record them for those who are on leave. So there may be recordings oh, uh, available. Um, and uh, the other thing is that possibly they're saying to the ALJs is funding issues. One funding issue could be that, you know, if we don't do a better job, we're not going to be able to stick around. So. Uh, maybe that's the that's the whole idea. If we're going to ask for more money from Congress, we're going to have to uh, not do so many overturns. Um, yeah, I but know. I mean, is that like is that a better job or? I mean, the answer, you know. <laughs> yeah. Is it better? Well, well it, it you know, and it it, it uh, I suppose it depends upon you know whose whose viewpoint um, you're taking, right. but it still goes back to me that you know they are there's so much. You know, woe is us. Uh, yeah. Where you know this would be a great job if it weren't for all these appeals. Right. And exactly. Exactly. So, um, but anyway, that's uh, well, this is this is very, very enlightening. Um, and uh, let's see. Um, yeah. Okay. Bob has Bob has said to me, you know, that kind of. That kind of topic discussion, it may have been very vague government speak, so it may have been the kind of thing you're seeing, uh, you know, you got to read between the lines anyway. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. So the the question is, and like here's your 88, can you now say that the ALJ decisions are unbiased and neutral? I don't know. Uh, I think at one time yeah. I certainly thought that. But when they suddenly change fit by 50%, that was, if we go back to that slide. Uh, yeah, slide that, eight. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, because that's like a 50% difference. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's a that's a 50% difference. Uh, and uh, that, that doesn't happen by just 
you know, things changing. Here's somebody saying, uh, yeah, uh, we're told by ALJs prior to the 68% settlement that both formal and informal communication was provided by personnel at CMS, which the ALJs in the field office were relying upon to reach appeal decisions. So it could be that informal communications of which the providers are not aware are the most injurious to our efforts. I, I kind of agree with that. Um, Oh, yeah, and Dr. Field asking, you know, has the claim universe changed? Well, I think during that time, I don't, I don't know. That may be that may be something uh, that I can take a look at. Uh, but I don't know that I'll find that much information. I'll try to look at the at the uh, RAC reports and the ALJ reports uh, or the uh, CMS reports and the Omaha reports to Congress and see if I can uh, find, you know, get anything out of those reports. I don't know that that kind of data is going to be enough to see if there was a real change. That is a good mm -hmm. point, though, Dr. Field. There, there may have been um, enough of a claim universe change uh, that that would explain at least part of it. I still suspect a 50% change. That's huge. So, mm -hmm. um, Mary's saying, yeah, there was even one judge who was referring to CMS as a sovereign entity and that they could pay whatever they wanted to. Pretty much true. Uh, they're beyond uh, judicial review, really. Mm -hmm. Administrative and judicial review. So, okay. Well, Jessica, this has been terrific. I, uh, um, I'm really um, thrilled to have this, and I look forward to having uh, having some more. And like we said, anybody who um, has, uh, I'm going to take the uh, take the wheel back. Yes. Yeah, go for it. Um, but um, the uh, here's the here's the phone number for Jessica. That's their website and their, um, you know, her email. If you want to get a copy of these materials, just uh, email to Jessica or give her a call and talk to her about it or whatever. You know, she doesn't bite, uh, so uh, <laughs> real easy to talk to. I can I can tell you for certainly. Um, can so, I ask a question? Sure, um, go ahead, Jessica, Karen. Uh, and and I'm not sure you know, your position on this or, or how you want to answer it. But as far as the settlement offer that's out there, does this um, presentation give me some insight into what I'm possibly going to be dealing with and maybe I should take the settlement? Or Right. Um, I think that's part yeah. of the business decision, don't you? Of course it's part of the yeah. business decision. This isn't, this isn't the 90% day. This is, I mean, right? Maybe yeah. maybe your facility is pristine and perfect, but it's not going to be ninety. I I just think those days are. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I, I think, think even the seventy five percent days are gone. Yeah, I think we're facing a, a lot of things that have um, a lot of things that have changed about that, and we just can't get the kind of decisions that we were getting two years ago. So, uh, but I think, you know, we'll see, you know, let's, you know, we just have to get the backlog cleared. You know, there, I think, mm -hmm. I don't know, there's moving forward. I think facilities, everybody is more educated, right? The facilities are sure. more compliant. They're more compliant with the rules, you know, back, you know, if we're looking at 2011 claims, I think there's a lot of sloppiness in the records and facilities mm -hmm. really were, 
getting the benefit of the doubt in a lot of cases. And it's, I don't know. I hope this backlog thing can just get, yeah, resolved, but in a way that, that, that works, you know? Yeah. Right. I agree. We have more physician advisors and we have more second level reviews and, you know, lots of our processes have changed. So I I do agree. Hopefully we've gotten to a new place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As best we can. Uh, Okay. All right. So Dr. Hurst says this is your last chance to give up your Westlaw sign in. (laughs) (laughs) So, but anyway, I'm, I'm sure that's not going to happen, but uh, okay. Well, great. Uh, Everything uh, folks, that's all we got time for today. Uh, Remember we will be back next Friday. Um, And as is often the case, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do next week. But then the next Friday, I think we're planning on having Mary Gregory back with us again to go over some important changes happening in the coding and billing world. So um, we will watch for my email announcements about that. Thanks to everybody for participating today. Uh, Of course, Jessica, thanks so much for, for, for doing that for your request and then bringing it over and sharing it with us. Really appreciate it. Uh, and, of course, to um, everyone uh, on the line, and Bill and Sharon and uh, Maria. I'm not even sure if I if Maria got to come on today. Uh, but anyway, thanks to everybody for helping out and, and uh, participating in the in the chat box today. And, of course, we owe thanks to our sponsors and partners, the Health Law Partners, Zermed, our newest, uh, uh, newest um, uh, uh, sponsor, Recovery Analytics, CCMA, uh, it is their contributions that make all this possible. Oh, and by the way, um, uh, the long-awaited OPPS final rule review, we do have that webinar in the works, and it is going to be coming up. Uh, I think we're uh, we're going to start broadcasting that late this coming week or at least the week after. So keep that uh, in mind. Watch for my emails about it, and we will uh, we will get that information out to you. I know Bill and uh, Jagna Shah are uh, preparing for that, and we're going to have um, we're going to have a great uh, a great webinar again. So, watch for my emails about next week's show. Share the links to our show with your colleagues and friends. And the last thing I wanted to share with you, of course, is again go sign up for that Zermed webinar next week uh, and find out about how uh, they think predictive analytics can help you. And then the last thing I wanted to share was this in my research this week. Disappointment to a noble soul is what cold water is to burning metal. It strengthens, tempers, intensifies, but never destroy it. So don't let any of this get to you, folks. We will keep going. We will keep um, keep plugging along. Thanks to everybody. We'll see you next time when it's finally Friday. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.